and uh, we'll get rolling on what I feel like God's laid on my heart today. <clears throat> I mean, you know that um, the way that you lead your life, whether you're aware of it or not, that in your heart, there's always a list of priorities. There are things that you prioritize above other things. <clears throat> whether you're uh, coherently cognizant of that, like you're aware of that or not, within all of us, there is a list of priorities, right? And so, <clears throat> um, how many know that when our priorities are off, that every other aspect of our life is off? If we don't, if our priorities aren't set in order in a I mean, you know, you can have healthy priorities and you can have unhealthy priorities. And um, you, we can, uh, but we all live out of the place of what we prioritize or what we value, what we give value to, what we honor, right? <clears throat> God wants to, um, our priorities to be set prime, number one on Him in a place of relationship. I mean, you know that, God wants your number one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. God says, I'm going I'm to set out for you uh, what your priority is so that you can uh, have a healthy heart. Because how I many know oh, your, your heart operates out of those places of priorities or what you value, right? <clears throat> and so, number one thing in our lives is relationship with God. Amen. And that means receiving from Him. That means allowing Him to love you, to be a father to you, um, to, to be a friend to you, uh, to love you, to instruct you, to speak to you, to correct you. Um, the number one priority in our life is, is receiving, right? We love because He first loved us, right? And so we, we come to find out in, in kind of the revelation of the gospel is that the priority is God's love for us. And when that is prioritized, everything else in our lives lines up and everything else in our lives gathers importance based upon that. Because how I many you know God has come to you and He's brought value to you? He has said that I, I, you are worth dying for. You are worth, I will pour out my blood for you. And so um, He brings worth to us. He brings value to us. And that number one dynamic, the beginning, most important thing is, how I many know Mary did that thing which was needful? She sat at his feet and she did what? She served him? No, she received from him. So your number one thing is to receive. It's your number one thing. And then um, out of that place of relationship, how I many of then starts coming all of our other priorities? Like, um, how I many know that we want to serve God, right? But how many know that serving God is not the same thing as relationship with God? That's something I got messed up in my early days. I thought serving God was relationship with God, and so I exalting serving God above everything else. And uh, ultimately, in the midst of that, what ended up getting exalted as well was my church. My church, serving God at my church became my relationship with God. And, um, and so that's an unhealthy dynamic. That is a wrong priority. Your church should never be prioritized above your personal relationship with God. Now, church is a place where you complement your personal relationship with God, and it's great to have community and be around other believers and gather together, but the church should never be placed above relationship with God. When it does, it's an off priority. Everything else gets messed up, and then all other relationships end up suffering as a result of that. And so... Number one is receiving from God in a place of relationship. And then, number two, we can serve God, right? Uh, but how many know that we're, we're not serving God properly if we're not taking care of our own families? So your, your family becomes, your family is your primary ministry. Your family is your number one. And if your family is healthy, then uh, you can branch out into ministry beyond. You know, in the past, we were always talking about, burn, you know, we were taught, burn your family at the altar, family be damned, ministry must go on, <laughs> you know. I mean, and I know that's, that, I mean, you can laugh about it, or I, I laugh about it now, but there were times when I cried about it, 
But, but what I realize is, you know, according to the pastoral epistles, he said, if you can't take care of your own house, you're not worthy to minister. So you got to take care of your own house. And so really, ministry should be an outflow of the beauty that's happening in your family, your, the, the, the love and the, um, the love, just the love, really. That's it. We receive love, give it to our family, and our family pours it out into the world. That is the way ministry is supposed to be. Not a performance, not all of these other things. It should be grown organically in the backyard, on the couch, in the living room, in the house. (laughs) Get an amen. I want to be the same person that I am behind this pulpit that I am sitting on my couch watching cartoons with my kids eating Cheerios. I don't want to be two different people, amen? Amen. And I don't have to be anymore, right? I can just be myself, right? And so, um, so number one priority is receiving from God. Number two is, you know, is, is ministering to God. Number one ministry is your family. And then we start stepping over into our careers and our jobs and, and ministry, right? Um, and so that, that's how, that's, that's a very short list on, on kind of how things should operate in a real generalized fashion. But in the scriptures, the Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? So he says, set in order your priorities. Now, when my priorities are set in order, things function properly. We talking about Jeremiah. Let me read that to you again. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Pursue the right things, and the right things will pursue you. Pursue the right things, and the right things will pursue you. Notice in this passage, he says, you seek the kingdom of his righteousness. And these things shall be added unto you. What things are he talking about? He's talking about material things. He's talking about things in this world. I mean, you know, this whole passage, the context of this passage is don't be afraid about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. I mean, you know, this, this Matthew chapter 6 is addressing supply and demand fear in the mind of people. Because they were afraid that there wasn't going to be enough. How I many you know there is supply and demand fear that's running rampant all over the world right now? God says, don't focus on that. Don't pursue that. Don't try to contain that. Don't try to make that work. You know? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that everyone else is seeking after will seek after you. That's exactly what it says. Right? And so, if money gets prioritized above God, then money becomes an idol. If a person gets prioritized above God, then that person becomes an idol. How I many you know your kids can't be more important than God? How I many you know your wife can't be more important than God? Your husband can't be more important than God? Can I get an amen? I'm just telling you. And, and I'm not saying that in this staunch, legalistic tone. I'm saying that God knows how things operate and how things run. He knows how it's designed. And if those priorities aren't... The best way I can take care of my wife and kids is to put God first place in my life. If God's not first place in my life, then I'm not taking care of my wife and kids the way I need to. Amen. And so... We don't want anything in our life to be more important than the Lord. Not a relationship, not a job, nothing. I mean, not, not, not a thing, not a substance. I mean, a substance can try to be an idol. Yeah. Entertainment can try to be an idol. There's all different kinds of idols that would try to, to crowd the heart of man in an attempt to really just mess up the flow of love. Because when your heart is crowded with idols, love's not going to flow properly to you or through you. Because your motives are going to be off. Okay? And so, God... Now, here, here's the beauty of your priorities, all right? Here's the awesome thing about this: everything that I've just mentioned. Because what I have, I've shared is a little on the severe side. <laughs> Would you agree? 
<laughs> I mean, it is. But like, I mean, you know, it's, pre- it's corrective towards all of us. Me too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 a, it's a heart check moment, right? Um, but it's, it's a good thing because, how I many you know that because God loves you, He'll adjust you? How I many you know He'll adjust you? He'll help you. How I many you know any father that's worth his salt is a father that corrects his kids? You, you are not fathered without correction. You're, you're a bastard. I was one. <laughs> I had no correction. And so I know what it's like. And it's harder for a fatherless child, I won't say harder, but there's, there's a unique challenge to being a fatherless child to relating to God as a father. Because you have a chip on your shoulder towards authority. Um, but God is able always to, to conquer any obstacle, right? And always does, you know, over and over and over again. But... The, this correction is a heart correction for the, for the purpose of bringing life. For the purpose of bringing life. Amen? And, um, you know, you don't have to turn there. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 4, though. Um, you know, First John... The book First John is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It has some of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, <clears throat> it, it talks about the love of God. It talks about how love conquers fear and judgment. And as He is, so are we in this world. And we love, we love Him because He first loved us. And the book of John is like, it holds a special place in my heart. Because it's a revelation of God's love from a... And almost analytical perspective. Like, it's just, I love it. Like, it just lays it out beautifully, right? And, uh, you know, now, of course, you know, nothing can replace Romans. Nothing can co- replace Galatians. But First John, it's a special place in my heart. I love that book. But if you look at the final verse of First John, the most unusual warning is given, and it seems to be out of, com- out of nowhere. This is the final thing John says. Now you got to understand, this is John the aged. This is John who has out-survived all the other disciples on the Isle of Patmos, walked with the Lord. Has I mean, how I many know oh, this guy's got some wisdom? Can I get an amen? Like, the wisdom flowing out of this guy is just on a complete... I mean, he, he is like... He is the Yoda of the early church. <laughs> he's not green, but he's old. You know what I'm saying? And he's been there and he's done that. And he's laying out this wisdom. And then the final thing he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. He's like, oh yeah, watch out for them idols. Because <laughs> they're coming for you, right? And... Um, you know, I think that so many times when we think of idolatry, we think of, you know, in the broad strokes of the way the world presents it. You know, I mean, we have TV shows, it's American Idol. You know, sports stars are easily idolized. Rock stars are easily idolized. Actors, the list goes on and on and on and on. But how many know in the Christian heart, there are other things that we have to watch out for? Like, we see pretty clear through all that stuff. But how I many you know we, if we have an area of our life that we're doling out as, and honoring as being more important than the Lord, and it might even be a good thing, it just not it shouldn't be number one. It should be like a number two or a number three. You follow me? And if those priorities get off, then everything else starts to get off afterwards. How I many you know if I'm building a little block tower and my first block is just, there's a tiny little bit off. How I many know the more I build, the more off it's going to be, right? So what we want is we want a clear foundation. We want to keep ourselves from, we want to keep idols out of our heart uh, because we don't want it to, um, well, A, dishonor the Lord. Can I get an amen? And then B, we also don't want it to, to mess up the way that we see God and the way that we see the world around us. How I many you know an idol can't do anything for you. It can only take. 
How many know when they had their idols back in the day, how many know they had to carry them? If you had an idol, you had to carry it. The idol requires effort from you. The idol requires effort from you. A true Savior doesn't need your effort. A true Savior rescues you. A true Savior carries you. <laughs> you have to carry the idol. But Jesus says, why don't you sit that idol down and let me carry you? Because I want to carry you, but I don't want to carry you and carry that idol because I don't like idols. <laughs> I mean, you know, our God does not play well with idols. He doesn't play nice. <laughs> you, you put our God and an idol in a room, that idol's gonna it's gonna be removed or be broken or be destroyed. Yeah. We're gonna look at that this morning. We're gonna we're gonna step back into that story because it reveals, I mean, you know, if we, if we look at the Old Testament and we, and we look at it with the lens of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can bring out prophetic truths out of those stories that apply to our lives today. Very powerful truths. And so, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, um, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So, your, your heart is the most important piece of who you are. Um, now your spirit is the most is the is the most important piece, but you can't mess your spirit up. You don't have the ability to do that once you're a child. You're a born again child of God. Your spirit's sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, how many of you can still mess your body up? Praise God. How many? We got no amens on that. Just got a couple sighs and nods and groans. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, you can mess your head up. And, and how many know that you can, you do have the ability to impact your heart? And we have to be careful what's being deposited in our heart. How many know things are deposited in our hearts through our eyes and through our ears? Primarily. But then, you know what the major way to deposit in your heart is? Even bigger than your eyes and your ears? And I know that sounds crazy. Your mouth. What you say makes a double deposit in your heart. Because what you say impacts what you believe more than anything you hear or see. Now what you hear or see will bring you to the place of what you're going to say. But if you can get, if you can, and this, this, is, this is, if you can allow your tongue to be the rudder, you can steer the course of your life by speaking God's word, God's life over your life as opposed to how you feel. Talking about the promises of God. Talking about walking by faith and not by sight. Right? So your heart is going to be impacted by what you see and what you hear, but primarily what you say. Right? And so that means that you want to be depositing life into your heart, not death into your heart. I mean, you know, if you're depositing death in your heart, then death's going to come out of your mouth. And death out of your mouth perpetuates in your life. Right? So, if we listen to the news all day, and then we speak the news all day, what are we perpetuating? Yeah. So we don't want to do that. Right? We want to feed on life, and we want to perpetuate life. And we want to speak life. Now, doesn't mean that you put your head in the sand and become some type of ostrich and you don't know anything that goes on in the world. I don't encourage that. I like knowing one, what's going on. I stay abreast on what's going on in the world to the degree that they will show me some element of truth. Because all I know is what they tell me. <laughs> so grain of salt with everything that goes on in regards to that. Um, However, what I do have control over is what's placed in my heart. And if I can place life in my heart, speak life. And then it says here in this passage, it says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What does that mean? That means the, way, the condition of your heart will be the way that you perceive the world around you. If my heart is filled with idols, I'm not going to see clearly. 
Everybody tracking me here? And um, God wants to cleanse the heart from priorities and things that have been exalted above Him in importance. Idols, right? Now, I was going to say this earlier, and let me bring this out. Currently teaching a 16-year-old how to drive, right? Ethan Johnson, driving the car, doing great. Honestly, he's a better driver than his mom. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. That was a joke. That was just for the family. Back at home, praise God, I have a little brown sack with my lunch on it. When I get home, I'll sit on the front porch and eat it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great driver, okay? No problems. He's doing good. But, um, what's that? That's FaceTime. I bet you that's the FaceTime coming in right here, isn't it? Yeah, it was all Yeah, all of our FaceTimes are linked together. Yeah, it kind of stinks, but it's all good. Anyway, um, so in teaching him how to drive, how many know that, that driving is a series of corrections? That's all it is. It's not a straight line thing. It's a series of corrections. There's no perfect path in driving. You're constantly adjusting, right? Well, your priorities are the same way in your heart. You can easy, you can adjust your priorities right now in this this quick. Boop. And you know what? When your priorities get off again, because they will, <laughs> God will come back, touch your heart. And bring you right back. Can I get an amen? amen? So what I also what I want to encourage you is it's not your responsibility to make this happen. In fact, you know what will correct your priorities quicker than anything? The goodness of God. When you experience the goodness of God in the midst of your own lack of perfection and personal failure. It, it'll, 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 whoop! <laughs> you know what? That, it'll set you back on worship. <laughs> set you right back to thank you, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And, and that is the place of, that's where things are functioning properly. You, 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 can, you can test your, your spiritual um, temperature by your level of gratitude. If you are thankful, you're healthy spiritually. If you're born again, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there are people who aren't saved and who are thankful and, you know, if you're born again. But the goodness of God will lead you to a place of gratitude. And out of that place of gratitude, that word for gratitude is the word car, which means joy. How many of the joy is your strength? And how many know that that gratitude and that joy will lead you to a place of repentance, lead you to a place of change? Can't get an amen. How many know when your heart gets clear and your priorities are clear, how many that's going to change your actions? It's going to change the way you live, going to change the way you walk, going to change the way you treat people. Can I get an amen? When your priorities are right. Because the next thing that, that starts to happen, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, is because the ultimate goal here is God wants you, A, to receive love, and then He wants, B, for that love to flow out of you. <clears throat> That's the primary goal. And when those idols are crowding the heart, it can make it difficult for that love to flow out of you. Because at the root of all forms of idolatry, for the most part, A, is unbelief, and B, is selfishness. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Why would it be unbelief? Well, if I believe something has the ability to satisfy me more than God does, I'm saying that I don't believe God can satisfy me as much as this person or this job, this amount of money, this title, this human being. It's unbelief. Right? Because I'm trying to get satisfied some other way than God. It's called it, it's it's a tricky, tricky thing, man. Covetousness, wanting what you don't have, thinking that if you get it, that it's going to somehow make you happy. 
Covetousness is a state of being that's like a negative. Um, it can't be satisfied. It's a leak of energy. It's a drain. It's, not, it's a black hole. And no matter what you stick in it, it'll consume it and want more. It cannot be satisfied. So, and so, but it works as an agent of mobilizing people to try to get things that will satisfy them. Well, I just need this house. I just need this car. I just need this person. I just need this relationship. I just need these clothes. I just need this. I need this. And so people driven by covetousness think if they just get that, that they're going to be satisfied and they're going to be happy. And what happens is, is each new place they step into, that covetousness sucks the life out of it. It says, no, you need more. You need more. You need more. And then when it ends up happening is someone is driven by covetousness their entire life, and no matter what they get or what they attain, they don't actually enjoy their lives. Happiness is denied them. And that's why it says godliness with contentment is great gain. Hmm. God says, you know what's greater gain than abundance of stuff? Being content with what you have. Because if you can be content with what you have, then you'll be happy. Even if you have a bunch of stuff. I mean, you can be content. But contentment is not the product of a material supply. Contentment is a decision to say, Lord, you're enough. And this is this, these are his words. Don't you love his words? I love his words, man. There's much power in it, man. Be content with such things as you have, knowing I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Is, you know what he's saying to you right there? He's saying, I'm enough. If you just realize it, I'm enough. Everything the world has to offer you, it's not, it's not as good as me. <laughs> it's not as good as me. Have as much of it as you want. Don't die in the process because it's dangerous. But when you're done, I'm right here. Because I'm better than anything that's out there. Can we all attest? We sure can, can't we? And so the more we realize that, the more we'll be happy and full of gratitude and content and enjoy our lives. And, and, and we have to fight against this covetous influence. It's from the world, okay? It, it, it's always operated through advertisement, you know? But now, like, it's, it's multiplied exponentially in power through social media. Instagram and pictures and videos and comparison and... and uh, you know, the grass is greener, and, and, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. We, we, we have a society that is currently geared up to perfectly compare ourselves with each other <clears throat> so that we can feel bad about who we are. <laughs> right? Uh, praise God. It's so funny when the spirit of truth is present and the truth is being laid out and we're all like, you know what, that's exactly right. <laughs> there it is right there, you know. You can clearly see it. Um, so, so we have to take a stand against that covetousness and we have to guard our hearts. Because if we don't, if we don't keep this out of our hearts, we're never going to be happy. I don't care what you have. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you weigh. I don't care what, how, what kind of education you have. I don't care what... You attain to, without keeping that covetousness out of your heart, you're not going to really enjoy a sense of contentment and peace and satisfaction. And so we have to take a stand against it. We have to understand that it is one of the driving forces of the spirit of this world, right? It's the love of money, right? The pride of life and the lust of the eyes. And um, those, those forces... Um, try to convey themselves through covetousness, right? And so what we want to do is we want to make a decision to be satisfied with Jesus. We want to make a decision to embrace Jesus. A is our righteousness. Can I get an amen? How many know that Jesus is your righteousness? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? 
He, he is your righteousness. He, is, he has become, uh, you are now one with Christ. And so um, you don't have to try to chase around getting anybody's approval to prove that you're right with God. Can I get an amen? You don't need approval from a pastor. You don't need approval from a, a priest. How I many you know you don't need approval from your brothers or sisters? How I many you know you got approval from Jesus Christ? Right? On Christ is solid rock I stand all around or sinking sands. Amen? He's all you need in terms of your righteousness, right? Well, it turns out he's actually all you need, period. All things are created by him and all things are created for him. Without him, there was nothing that was made that was made. All things were created by him. All things were created for him. Jesus is at the very center of all existence. Can I get an amen? When Jesus is at the center of your life, there is an open heaven. There is a life flow. There is um, things move properly. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? I'm going back to the place of motivation. I'm going back to the heart again, all right? Let me give you an example of somebody who had everything. Okay, take a look at Solomon, right? I mean, you know, Solomon literally tasted everything the world had to offer. He, he gave himself to mirth, laughter. He gave himself to wine. He gave himself to women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women. Praise God. And, and we know why the book of Ecclesiastes was wrote now, right? <laughs> he lost his mind in Ecclesiastes because he had a thousand wives. No, I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. But anyway, he built stuff. He built statues. He, he, he ate everything. Like he had all the money, all the land, all the power. I mean, it was just heaped on him. And, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that he, you know, he, you know, he pursued these things and he pursued these things. And, you know, he gave his heart towards this. He made building the most important thing in his life. And he built all these cathedrals and these things. And then he made, you know, wine the most important thing in his life. And he gave himself to wine. Then he gave himself to, to mirth, to laughter, to humor, entertainment. Um, and, and, you know, he goes down the line. But, like, at the end of the book, like, he's miserable. The, in fact, the whole book he's miserable. He repeats this statement over and over again. Oh, vanity of vanities. What is he saying? Emptiness of emptiness. Vain. Why? What does he realize? He's realizing like, apart from God, this world is styrofoam. Yep. <laughs> like if you chew up some of this world apart from the Lord, it's just styrofoam. There's no taste to it. There's no color to it. It's dead. It looks good for a season. But how I many at the end of the day, styrofoam can't satisfy you? I mean, the only thing that can satisfy you is Jesus Christ, the tree of life. I mean, you want to sink your teeth deep into the tree of, G of, of life, of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's a part of why we do um, communion. Feeding on the tree of life. Amen? But anyway, and so this world, it doesn't have it, right? The Lord has it. And Solomon came to the end of himself, and he was miserable the whole time. Because his priorities were off. God was not number one in his life. He still went to temple. He still had the robes. He still went to church. He's still a good Jewish boy. Well, shoot, he was king. But his heart was far from God. And, and so... Praise God. I mean, you, know, you can do so many things by memory. It's not like going through the motions. I mean, you, know, you can go through the motions in worship. I mean, you can go through the motions in anything in your life. Right? And I mean, you know, God is not as after the motion is he is the heart. He wants the heart, right? You ever, <laughs> God love my wife, she, she, there are three men in her life, right? She's constantly around three men. And if you know anything about men, we're simple creatures, right? We have a few basic needs and we're happy, right? We're not complicated. And, but we have some flaws, 
we don't listen well. And, and, and it's not just like an adult male thing. Like, it runs from, you come, they come out the womb just like. And women want to be listened to. They want to be heard. And they want you to recall details of what you've heard. And if you fail these things, <laughs> then you know what I'm saying? So anyway, so mercy towards Stacy. She's surrounded by that. And there are times when, like, and this is for all three of us, too. This is for Ethan, myself, and Eli. When Stacy will basically, like, take us by the face, look us in the eyes, and, like, repeat, <laughs> you know, instruction, you know, and make sure that, you know, we're listening, you know. And, uh, and, and, and how many know that, but then there are, it's not always like that. There are times when we're listening with all of our being, Right? Hey, get an amen. It's true. But God wants for you to listen to him when he's speaking to you from your heart. Not grabbing your face through circumstances. How many of those circumstances will grab your face and get your attention? Hallelujah. Are we not like that? We're the sheep that get saved. <laughs> but like, <clears throat> he wants, just like what my wife wants, she wants to know that you're listening with your heart. Right? How many know that that's what God wants to? Because how many know you can go through the motions of worship or preaching or any of that, but your heart not really be in it? You're just, you're just doing the things that you've committed to memory because you've done it so many times. Y'all tracking me here? And we all have to guard against it. <clears throat> because what it is, is is called religion. Religion is what happens when relationship you know, leaves the building. And so we, we, we have to take a stand against it. We have to guard against it. And, and, but then once again, like, the resolution of it is not the product of our own willpower. It's not the product of our own doing. <clears throat> Getting back to the nature of salvation. How many of salvation is just a gift you receive, right? So, see, everything that comes from God comes from the avenue of salvation. Soteria. How many of Jesus' name is Yeshua? His name means salvation. Okay, get an amen. How many of salvation comes through Him, right? You know what that means? That means everything that comes through the Lord is an act of saving. Visualize this. Visualize an outstretched hand of a Savior and the receiving hand of the saved. Everything that comes from God is a hand to save you, including what I'm adding in here to this message. How many know that God is saying, I want to come and touch your heart because I want to adjust it because I want to make sure I'm first? Why, and, and how is that coming? That's coming in an outstretched hand of salvation, of help. You're not going to make it happen. You're going to choose to allow it to happen. Y'all see that? He can't make it happen in you because he refuses to. Because he refuses to take away your ability to choose. Because if he did, then your choice wouldn't mean anything. But because you have the ability to choose, your choice carries power. And your choice has the ability to woo the heart of the Creator. That he'd find somebody that would love him. Yes. That, it, that's, that's the beauty of being in. Is he could make everything do anything he wanted to do. But he gives us the freedom to choose. Yeah. And that's love. Yeah. And if he didn't do that, it wouldn't be love. That's right. The only place where you don't see the freedom to choose in creation. Uh oh, Casey's sneaking up on me. What's going on? <laughs> okay, no, you're right. No, no, you're right. You're right. Um, the only place where it, that, that the ability to choose is not is nature. 
There's no uh, good and evil in nature. There's no ability to choose. And you know what? It's not jacked up. <laughs> like, nature without us would flow so smooth, would it not? Isn't that funny? I mean, that's not revelatory. I just think it's funny. I just, I've always, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've always just thought, like, nature is smooth. Why? Because there's no choice. Anyway, did you have more that you wanted to say? I'm sorry. Well, grab a mic. Towards the end of the service, we always switch over into Phil Donahue mode. <laughs> like, we've had the church, and now it's time for everybody to share. And John is our, our Phil Donahue. Don, John, actually, he has better hair than Phil Donahue. So, yeah, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> he just needs the big windshield glasses and a suit. No, 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 no. He's, he's bringing a new feel to it. It's good. Anyways. Go ahead, man. <laughs> um, so... Um, there was a testimony I heard of, of um, some people were ministering in the slums in Indiana, and they were, there was this place, I, forget, I think it was in New Delhi, where there was this overpass, and they were ministering to these people that were homeless, and there was a particular lady down there that had this little hut that she'd basically built out of scraps and trash yeah. that she lived in. Yeah. And there was something markably different about this lady. There was joy in her heart. She was helping other people with, uh, with their things and just going around. And, like, she was being a blessing to others, even in the midst of being in despair. Or in, in a despairing place, I should say. Not that she was. Well, they tried to. They were getting these people out of there and trying to clean up the area and all that. And, and, and she was resistant and wanting to leave the area. I was like, no, listen, we can get you into a, a place where you have a roof over your head, get you some food, get you, get you out of the situation. And she goes, no, you don't understand. I don't want to leave. And, and she was just didn't want to leave. And they were like, why don't you want to leave this place? And she said, because every night Jesus meets me in that shack. Wow. And the Lord, her testimony was that the Lord would physically appear to her wow. every, every night yeah. in that shack. And she wouldn't trade nothing for it. That's awesome. That she would rather be there where he was yeah. than have a roof over her head. And I'm not saying that God wants that for us. Sure, sure. But the thing is, is her, her focus was so single. Yeah. It didn't matter what was around her. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Moses said, Lord, unless you go with us, don't lead us up from this place. Yeah. And, yeah, I just thought that was just to good, piggyback man. on what you're saying. It was just a, thank you. such a powerful testimony. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. So good, man. Let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5, and we'll close right here. <clears throat> I want to read a, a Charles Spurgeon quote to you. <laughs> You guys ever dig any Spurgeon, but Spurgeon had a good grasp on the gospel. Um, there are a lot of other things he didn't understand, but he definitely understood the gospel, and uh, he's just a beautiful writer, too. But uh, here's a quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon. It says, false gods patiently endure the existence of other false gods. Dagon can stand with Baal, Baal with Ashtaroth. How should stone and wood and silver be moved to indignation? But because God is the only living and true God, Dagon must fall before his ark. Baal must be broken, and Ashtaroth must be consumed with fire. Amen. Um, our, our God's attitude towards idols is very vicious. And uh, it's not a viciousness that's born of some angry, vengeful God. It's viciousness that's born of love, right? Y'all ever heard of the term mama bear? <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right, of her children, right? And so um, you want to see the love of a mama mess with her kids, right? You want to see... Um, the love of God in action, mess with his kids. Idolatry in the hearts of his children have messed his children up for thousands of years. 
I mean, you know, the primary issue in the nation of Israel was idolatry. Like, as long as they would <clears throat> hold their end of the covenant and make the temple sacrifices and, you know, do their end of the covenant, I mean, you know, the blessing stayed upon Israel. I don't care how many mistakes they made. I don't care how much sin happened. <clears throat> as long as they honored the covenant and they came to the temple and they made sacrifices, then uh, the blessing stayed. But when they went after other gods and they started worshiping idols, how I many all they stopped at their end of the covenant and that's when the repercussions came, right? Now, how I many you know today, uh, the way that God deals with us is not like that. Can I get an amen? We're not like um, Israel. God doesn't deal with us like that any longer. So, but God's still coming after any idol that's trying to crowd the place of your heart and take his, his room. He is coming after that. <clears throat> and he comes after it with his goodness. I mean, we, we took a look at that this morning, how, how the goodness of God will change your priorities. And then how many know that the, it, it, he also comes after it, um, it, it, not, well, how should I say this? How many know when your priorities are off, your decision making is off? And how many know when your decision making is off, your results are off? And how many know when your priorities are off, you can, you can end up driving down a road that you never meant to go down? And how many know the circumstantial pressure of that road can help bring you back to a place of adjusted priorities? God's not the author of that circumstantial thing that happened. How many know we are? God, no amens on that. Praise God. Everybody's like, no, we ain't amen in that. How many know when you do dumb stuff, you get dumb results, whether you're a believer or not, right? And sometimes the circumstantial aspect of it can be correction. But the bottom line is, is God's like, I don't want this thing in your heart. I want to remove it because I love you, right? And so 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So check it out. The ark of the Lord, of course, represents God, represents Jesus, represents the finished work of the cross. Can I get an amen? Don't, I'm, I don't have time to teach on all that, but that's what it represents. And so they brought the ark, into the temple of Dagon. And then we see Dagon fall prostrate before the ark because this is what happens when Jesus shows up around idols. They got to fall down and worship, right? And so then this is what they did. So they took Dagon and set it back in its place. They're like, man, our God stumbled and fell. Hold on, we got to pick him up. <laughs> He's having a bad day. And so, I mean, you know, the, when it's an idol, once again, you got to serve it. You got to care for it. You got to carry it, right? So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. When they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left. Now, what I want to show you is how I many you know God's, God just executed his love for his people by the removal of an idol. How many of the Lord says, vengeance is mine? The Lord says that, right? His love executed vengeance against that which was trying to distract from the one true God. And he, he, he was severe about it, right? So what, the reason I sell that is <clears throat> I just want to show you that I want to give you a sense of safety because that's how much your God loves you and how quick He is to protect you. Amen? It's true. You can't get caught up looking at this world, man. You can't get caught up at looking at, you know... Don't let your love grow cold because lawlessness abounds. It's a very easy thing to do. I'm not going to do it. I'm keeping my love light on. I'm not going to grow cold and loveless. I'm not doing it. I can't make nobody else not do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to tell you, don't do it. It's, 
A love, a, 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 a cold, if you let your love grow cold, it's a cold life. It's a cold, long life of survival and not living. And God has better than that for you. Can I get an amen? How do you turn your light on? You receive the love. Can I get an amen? I'm not, trying, I'm not asking you to, to, to drum up love in your own strength and your own ability. I'm not asking you to love. I'm asking you to be loved. <laughs> that's what I'm asking you to do. Be loved. Because that's how your lamp gets filled up. I mean, oh, there are five wise and five foolish virgins, right? You got to get your, you got to, re, you got to receive that love. Amen. Praise God. I mean, that's how Joshua and Caleb took the promised land. Twelve spies, right? Loved equally. Two believed it. Ten did not. How you know, Jeremiah? Because these were their words. If the Lord delight in us, will He not give us the land? Not how big the giant is. Not how much trouble. If the Lord delight in us. They believed the Lord delighted in them. Ten spies did not. Because the ten did not, they did not have the faith to overcome. Right? So what's your... Do you believe the Lord delights in you? That's the right answer. <laughs> Amen? And see, the only way you're going to believe the Lord delights in you is if you don't try to look at you to derive the place of His delightment from. Now, I'm not belittling our humanity in, this, in making that statement. But what I'm saying is, the Lord delights in Jesus. You are now in Jesus. You are the Lord's delight. The Lord delighted you in you enough to bring you into Jesus. Are y'all tracking me here? It's, it is full circle, and it feeds into it like this. But, it, but you're only going to enjoy that to the level you believe it. And so... The thing that's always going to try to convince you that the Lord doesn't delight in you is you. Yep. <laughs> and so in order to maintain a clear picture of the Lord's delight, you're going to have to keep your attention and your focus off of you and get your attention and your focus onto the Lord. Because as you behold Him, you are changed from glory to glory. If you behold yourself, you're not changed from glory to glory. If I spend all my time looking at me, I'm going to be sad. <laughs> For real. <laughs> I don't want that. I'll either be sad or I'll be prideful. And both stink. I don't need either one of those in my life. Both, both are awful. No, no, no. Put my eyes on Jesus. Can't get an amen. The Lord delights in you. Can I get an amen? Because the Lord delights in you, you are able to take the land. The giants are bred for us. Amen. <sighs> Hallelujah. Amen. So, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the world, the world teaches us the more you have, the better you are. And you have to resist that because it's constantly perpetuated and put out there through everything. Sure. But something that the Lord's taught me and I grow in every day is we enter, enter into his courts with, thanks, you know, with thanksgiving. You know, we, we become aware of him when we're grateful. And... I'll give you an, everything that's good comes down from the Father of Lights. Everything. So every little blessing that's in our life, everything that's good comes from Him, and it's an expression of His love towards us. Yeah. So when you lay your head down at night, that you have a pillow to lay your head down on, be grateful for your pillow. Start, you know, it, it's the lens in which you look through. And as you start being, just thanking the Father, for every little thing in your life, it'll that'll free that thing that act alone will free you from any other influence in your heart because you'll realize 
I'll give you a practical example. I'm going to go home this afternoon. I'm going to sit in a chair, comfortable chair, put my feet up, and play Xbox. Okay? All those things, as, as worldly as it sounds, I would have none of it if it weren't for Jesus. It's good. Jesus loved me enough. Jesus personally blessed me with the ability to be able to get that thing or lined up the thing. It all came from him. Yeah. And it's and what I'm saying is we so complicate things and, and feel like we have we have to do something or that we orchestrated something or that we did something. You understand? God gave you the ability to even work. God gave you the ability to even draw breath. God gives you every it's like if God were to step out of our reality, like Arthur Menjez says, we would cease to exist. So what I'm just encouraging, if you, want, if you want to experience real joy and happiness and peace in your life, realize that everything you have, everything that's good comes from him. And he, that he wants to remove everything that's bad and that hurts your life. And that his favor is on you. And watch what it does to your heart. I mean, just for the, for the little things. And I know it sounds... It sounds really simplified but it it really isn't because it'll it'll tenderize your heart it'll make your heart so sensitive to the presence of the lord you'll realize he's always with you just you take that second just acknowledge lord thank you for this cup of coffee it's good i mean i know it's simple but i'm telling you in that place it's found it's found his presence because it makes you aware that he's here in him we live and move and have our being. And 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 it's awesome when you can sit there and, and you sit there and like, Lord, thank you for this cup of coffee, and you feel his love. It's good. Because he blessed you with that coffee. He blessed you with the ability to get the coffee. Yeah. Gratitude will it, it it's what makes us uh, spiritually well. It, gratitude destroys idols. Yeah. It it really does. It it's good. It will destroy you, and you will realize that you will, when you realize he is the source of everything, when you keep that forefront in your heart and mind, you will not fall into an idol. Good. It's just that simple. And, and, and I just want to encourage everyone. That's a real, I mean, your message is so awesome, but that's a, another practical way that you can practice that. If, you, if you're concerned that you're, First of all, if you're even concerned that there's an idol in a heart in your heart, there's probably not an idol in your heart because you're wanting your heart to be dedicated to the Lord. So don't even second guess yourself about that. If you if your intention is is I want Jesus first, Jesus will lovingly correct. It's like just driving. There's sometimes it's as simple as you know when the, when the road is when the road needs to take a little bit of a curve, you don't yank the wheel one way or the other to make a hard correction. There's the thing called overcorrecting, and that causes an accident, right? Yeah. Well, the Lord's like, well, no, we just need to make a little tweak here, a little tweak there, a little micro. And I think that was so powerful the way you shared that so we don't fall into condemnation and fall into sure. the trap the enemy wants to get us all in our heads. And now it still becomes about us again. Yeah, no, you can't do it in your own yeah. strength. It, you're receiving salvation. You're receiving it. Every, every aspect of it is Him. Uh, we, don't, we don't accomplish any of it. But we allow it to happen. And, and you can't really change anything until you recognize there is a problem with the way you're approaching something or looking at something. You know, And, um, and, and that problem, it, it's not in the sense that you've got some major problem. It's that you're looking at the wrong thing. Amen. How I many you know you, these adjustments are made by getting our eyes back on Jesus? All the adjustments are made by doing that. Amen. It's good. So, <clears throat> anyway, so, awesome. Thank you, Brian. Um, if anybody needs to give an envelope this morning, we'll get one to you. Dan, will you take up the offering this morning, please? Dan Bell. Dan's always the best-looking person in the room. I got one right here. Thank you. And then, uh, if you guys are giving online and you want to give, go to gracepointgeorgetown.com. You guys can give like that. And then, I'll also say, uh, we, we had a real kind of strong time of prayer and so if you're watching online and you need prayer for anything, we just ask that you would either comment on whatever format you're watching, whether that's YouTube or Facebook Live or whatever, or message us, and we'll be happy to pray for you. So I uh, just want to encourage you to, to reach out if you need prayer. So amen. Thank you, Lord.
Dan got that old school way of taking up the offering, too. He's going to come over to you. He's going to be like, what you got? <laughs> Tim's not like that, but Dan comes.